pasta, go home, pound some honey and lemon, and then shut up for the week. Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Tom Balsamo. How are you, Tom? Hey, I'm better. I'm good. Thank good, you. good. It's been, we've had a little lag here, and uh, so we're glad to get back in the saddle again after the holidays, after uh, some sickness. And before we, we launch into it, we've got a list of, of questions here. We've just got a, a fun conversation ahead. But uh, we want to thank our patrons uh, who have logged on at patreon.com slash reason together and, uh, and, and subscribe to support this podcast on an episode by episode basis. We sure appreciate that, uh, what you're doing. We might share in a little bit what we've been able to do and uh, our plans for the future. But uh, it, it's just been uh, enjoyable for me here uh, recently to feel the relief, you know, the relief um, by being able to move forward and get more into doing exactly what we want to do. So uh, thank you, patrons, for all that you do. Yes, and if you would like to become a patron, you can go over to patreon.com slash reason together and sign up for any of the membership levels available there. Uh, you might be particularly interested in the elite level because that one gets you access to the after show bonus content where we often continue the conversation in somewhat of a more relaxed tone. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else as to if, describe it. Yeah, right. Cause it's, as if but, we're not really relaxed here, but yeah, it yeah. is more just, uh, yeah, it is different, isn't it? It's like, it does seem different. One level more relaxed. It's yeah. like we nod off to sleep every now and then during. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you might be listening and wonder why would I want to become a patron? Why would I want to do that? What are these guys doing with this money anyway? Right. Uh, well, one of the things that we've recently been able to do is hire an editor to edit these audio recordings, uh, which is really nice. Um, takes a little bit of uh, the burden off of, of me and because uh, um, I used to be the editor. And, and right. someone does that for us. And along and, with that, if I can jump in, yeah, go uh, ahead. We, we also were able to hire on a blog editor, which uh, we had kind of operated that way ourselves as well in uh, the, the early months. Um, and so we've, we launched a blog here, what, about seven months ago. And mm -hmm. now we have an editor on board uh, so we can kind of focus on just writing and talking and getting the content out that we want to we get out. Yeah, and, and we have started paying them, and uh, they have been gracious enough to accept a rather meager fare uh, <laughs> compared to what their work is worth. And uh, but we would love to pay them uh, what they we'd love to pay them a worthy wage uh, in the future as this podcast grows. So if you become a patron over at patreon.com slash reason together, that is what your dollars are going towards helping, uh, in addition to things like, uh, you know keeping the lights on with our, our, our hosting and, um, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Um, you would be helping us to pay our, those that, uh, that are editing and that would be a big help. All right. Well, we've got, um, 
We've got a list of things to talk about here, but we've kind of had a, a, a festive last few weeks. Uh, maybe that's not quite the right word, but we've had, it's been, it's not been the word I would have picked. No, it's been holiday season. And yet it just seems like sickness has swept through uh, everywhere. Um, Everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Everybody so. Everybody is, uh, is getting the, the dreaded Omicron. <laughs> yeah. In fact, as soon Everyone's as I'm getting- done here, I'm, I'm running home to deadbolt the door. Uh, to hopefully cower in my house and um, and not be exposed to. Oh, actually, <laughs> might be you, more dangerous already, in my house with eight yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You probably already had it. You know. Um, yeah, when your family gets to a certain size, you 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 like your existence is a super spreader event. Um, you know, <laughs> so it just like you really can't escape. You actually you actually go out into public to be more safe. No, yeah. not really, yeah. not really. Yeah, I I recently uh, got sick um, over the holiday season. And, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, it was a weird thing because it's rare for you. I, it is rare. I, I haven't been sick in years really in any <laughs> meaningful way. Um, and it started out that I got, I got the Rona. Um, the Rona. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be too dogmatic because I did not get tested. Um, Mm -hmm. I simply, based on the symptoms alone and the progression of the Omicron variant, just Mm -hmm. presumed that that's what I had had. I had a fever for like three days. I felt crummy. I felt like, like a truck had just like run over me, like lengthwise from one end to the other (laughs) and decided to stop at my head and pause for a second and just sit there and then back up a little bit. And then move forward again onto my head. It's like you had a student (laughs) driver, student truck driver on your body. Yeah, That's right. That's right. Uh, The only thing I lacked really was the tread marks on my face uh, (laughs) when it was finished. But the feeling was pretty much the same. So... (laughs) So I, I, I'm pretty sure I had the Omicron uh, variant of, of COVID, which I guess they're saying is so f- different from the other yeah. variants of COVID. It's basically a different illness, but it, it's a cold. It, it is a cold at this point. Um, and everyone is getting it. So I got it from someone in our church and we then we're going to be leaving to go to a family reunion. <laughs> I mean, hey, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And we were going to be yeah. celebrating Christmas a little later with our relatives. And some of these relatives, I mean, we have not had everyone in the family together like this in like 10 years, 13 years. It's been a long, long time yeah, since yeah. everyone has been able to be together. So here we are coming You're- to celebrate Christmas with them. And I'm thinking, I brought you a present. <laughs> um, but it turns out that many of them were already going through the same thing and they had gotten it from wherever it was they were. So we knew already going into this, that we were going to be coming, basically creating a giant Petri dish of all sorts of disappointing contagion. Right. So it's sort of like a gain of function test at the reunion. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I I guess. Um, but but we knew going into it that this that we were that we were bringing sickness. Everyone was bringing some sort of sickness. We were going to share it with each other, and we were going to leave probably sicker. We all knew it. However, however, knowing what we know about the whole Omicron thing, that it's basically just a cold now at this point, it's totally worth it to have your family reunion. 
There's Amen. no way That's... we were going to cancel it yep. over the Omicron thing. And it seems ridiculous to me that people would do that in our situation. Um, so, so we had our family reunion. What was great though, is that by the time I got uh, to the reunion, we, it took us three days to drive there. It was, it, it, we, we rented a Verbo VRBO, big fancy yeah. house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Branson, Missouri. And we drove there. It was a 20 hour drive, not counting any traffics or stops or anything like that. So we, we split it up into three days to drive there. By the time I got there, I felt better. <laughs> I felt like the truck driver had relieved my head of his tire. Um, so yeah, so we got there. I felt better. Uh, and the whole three days of the reunion, I felt fine. But on the day that we left, I was feeling sick again. <laughs> and I kid you not, I kid you not, somehow at the, I picked up, I picked up tonsillitis, bronchitis, conjunctivitis, um, pink eye. Yeah, that's the same as conjunctivitis. Yeah. Um, I, I picked up, who, 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 I got an ear infection. <laughs> yeah, I even got an ear infection. Yeah. Otitis media. Uh, I got a middle ear infection and I couldn't hear out of my left ear. And then I got laryngitis to where I couldn't even speak. And this is a guy who doesn't get sick ever. Right. And I got all of this stuff all at once. I couldn't even talk. Um, like, like my voice sounded so tenuous and frail. You would probably have laughed at me. There was nothing intimidating about my voice. Nothing. Um, (laughs) so like I said, though, totally worth it. We got to have the family reunion. It was the best thing ever. Um, totally worth it. Um, my voice is mostly back now. You might hear it sounds a little bit scratchy. Um, it never got sore, never got a sore throat. It just, my voice How left. How about that? Just, this went, yeah. Just went, went. Hmm. Um, so all that to say, uh, my holiday season here was, was rather, well, to use your word, festive. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had company with me wherever I went, I guess, the, the company of, of viruses. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you just um, felt good about yourself for sharing <laughs> and for receiving yes. it. Yes. It was a season of giving and receiving. Yes. Yes. The blessedness of, of nieces and nephews, you know, sniffling and snotting on you and, and, uh, you know, wouldn't have it any other way. That's right. Um, yeah. uh, if, if we could do it again tomorrow, I'd do it again tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, that kind of, that kind of brings me to the question or discussion okay. that I wanted to talk about different cultures, even within our own U.S. borders seem to behave differently, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and this has been a known fact for a while. If, 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 if you don't know this, you're living under a rock, that there are different <laughs> cultures and it's almost like being in a different country, depending on where you go within our country, mm-hmm. um, where some cultures seem to have a cultural practice of complaining to each other <laughs> in such a way that is comical where the person telling the story is the sap in the story, right? <laughs> uh, the sap, meaning he's the, the sap, the, the schlemiel, okay? <laughs> yeah. Get any other, uh, any yeah. other, uh, so, are you familiar with the term? Schlemiel. <laughs> the schlemiel. Not really, except for I, you. I, I'm I pretty sure. I'm pretty schmuck. sure. Okay. 
Uh, no, no, not exactly. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Yiddish. <laughs> we need to get you cultured. Um, I'm pretty sure that Shlomiel is a Yiddish word, uh, meaning it was like like Jewish slang uh, from back in the New York days. And I'm pretty sure Italians just commandeered the word and started using it. I could be wrong on the history of that, but that's what I think it is. Okay. But there's an accompanying word is the Shlomazel. Okay. Shlomazel. So you have the, the Shlomiel and the Shlomazel. The Shlomiel is the guy where all, all the bad stuff happens to him, right? Okay. Okay. The Shlomazel is the guy that's, you know, accidentally doing the bad stuff. So like the, the okay. Shlomazel is the guy that trips and spills his drink, right? Mm-hmm. The Shlomiel is the guy who gets it spilled on. Right. Okay. <laughs> on himself, okay. right? Um, Thank you. So, I needed that explanation. Sure. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And and listeners, you're welcome. I'm sure that this is something you always wanted to know. Um, But in some cultures, particularly I'm thinking of the New York, New Jersey, Italian American culture, right? My, my upbringing, uh, the Mm -hmm. thing I'm used to, there's a culture of complaining to each other, like actual, like, like complaining, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's done in such a way, excuse me, that involves uh, vivid storytelling yes. with humorous ex- explanations and illustrations and descriptions where the storyteller is the schlemiel in the story. Okay. So you're getting a laugh at this person's expense in a way. But yet, if you're not familiar with that culture, it sounds like they are just griping and complaining. Right. Um, you know, culturally, there are different things that happen. For instance, here in New England, there is somewhat of a direct way of speaking. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same in, you know, greater New England, New York, New Jersey. There's always a direct way of speaking to each other where you just kind of say what, what it is. Um, and you're not intending to insult people and you get it and they get it and everyone's happy. Um, and, and and they would be spoken to the same way and get it and not be offended. They're just, that's just how they communicate back and forth. Exactly. Let me give you an example. Um, this past Sunday at church, we have this lady in our church, super sweet, older lady, Um, she's, she's kind of like one of like our decorator. If we decorate something at church, Mm -hmm. uh, Ida is the one we asked to do it because she's really good at it. Um, she makes our gift boxes for our shut-ins and stuff like that. Um, she's really good at that super sweet lady, but she is a new Englander. Um, she has that really thick new England accent. Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I, I, on Sunday I preached and, and my voice was still a little bit weak sounding. And she says to me afterwards, she says in her thick accent, pasta, go home, pound some honey and lemon, and then shut up for the week. With the accent. That's so great. With the accent. Pound some honey and lemon and shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so now now she can get away with that, okay? (laughs) She is... She's, she's such a wonderful lady. Um, and she, she, I get it. She, she gets it. I get it. 
where where you sure. can speak directly like that and it's just it's cultural but yet in some cultures that would be considered very unchristian like for for instance I grew up in Jersey and I remember when I was in radiology school uh, out in the Midwest right you can't speak the same way be- and I learned this very quickly because other students in the classroom would get offended right. <laughs> by me. <laughs> and there was something that they said was offensive about the way that I was speaking. And it was just, I think, a clash of cultures. Huh. I had no intent of being offensive, but like people's feelings would get hurt so quick. I worked at a hospital one time in Missouri. People's feelings would get hurt so easily, like they're just so emotionally frail. They would just, oh, it's just the simplest thing I said. It's like, I wasn't, wasn't trying to be mean, you know? And and I think that there is a cultural difference where where some cultures can can complain, right? Right, right. As yeah, a form of their cultural storytelling. Sure. Where they can, they can even insult you, right? As part of their, their cultural way of speaking. And there's nothing unchristian about it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I can't really say that I find anything wrong with it. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Is, is the entire culture wrong for that? Or is there somehow something that makes it anodyne because it's cultural? Like, can we use culture to say that something, am I imposing culture on the scriptures? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, that's 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 a neat question. I what my first thought is going to a specific verse and and saying, well, I guess as long as our culture, uh, you know, we we apply uh, scripture to the culture and say, does it meet the test? And in in terms of uh, speech, particularly, we're talking about here. Was it Colossians four six? You know, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong verse, but. Let your let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if that person could say, "Oh, I truly am speaking with grace," and it's seasoned with salt. Now, ideally, I think uh, this is my my personal take on it. I think you could apply, you could uh, grade cultures, if you will, and say, honestly, it's not ideal to talk that way. If I had to, if I had to grade one over the other, I would say this one seems to convey more grace. However, with the caveat that people understand what's going on, um, mm-hmm. uh, then to me, it's not really an issue because uh, it can convey grace. Like for instance, when you're saying uh, I'm telling a story in such a way that I'm the shlemiel, and people get a laugh out of it, well, that's actually a positive thing. He's, he's, it's not, to me, it's not even hardly a complaint, but it is, it it is a complaint, but it's said to make you laugh and to, um, to lighten the situation. Uh So that actually was all for positive benefit. It just was done in a comedic way Yeah, that was, that sounded negative, but really wasn't. So, I mean, I can't say that that violates a scriptural standard, Right. but but if speaking bluntly to a person causes them to take offense, well then, yeah, I'd have to say, well, maybe there's a a way we could figure out how to say it um, where they understand, you know, what I mean in another way. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a perfect world, you could be very direct with people. Right. And they would they would also be difficult to offend. Um, correct, correct. I, and, and, and I mean that is a good point. 
for me, having been, I've, I spent the first 17 years of my life living in New Jersey and then subsequently other places after that, a large portion of the rest of my life was spent in the Midwest. Um, I have been, um, I have been subject to more misunderstandings, <laughs> right? Um, in, the in the Midwest. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Because people tend to dance around the subjects. Um, where, whereas where I grew up, people just, they, they speak openly. They speak very plainly, mm-hmm. uh, about things and there, there's no, there's really no misunderstanding what they mean oftentimes. And that, that means, you know, yeah, I got to have a little bit of a thicker skin so that I, you know, if they're going to speak in such a way that I don't misunderstand, but, uh, you know, you have to, they're- you have to wonder, is there a benefit in some way to having a culture where, yeah, you can speak plainly and very directly, but yet people are also hard to offend. That seems like an advantage to me. Right, right. And I see that. And I there are some, <clears throat> I'd say there's even, I, I wouldn't say that's um, completely um, just a thing of the Northeast, because while Midwesterners may tend to be maybe gentler in their approach, I still know people, uh, and I can think of one in particular, who I would describe as Frank. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I appreciate that. Um, I like when I just know where somebody stands when they say, yeah. blah, 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 you know, and they say it, well, good. At least I know what you're thinking because how many people aren't going to say it, um, at all, <laughs> you know, or, or in a way that you understand. So, um, yeah, there's certainly ways to analyze these things and, um, yeah. and to say, and, here's a strength of it or a weakness. Yeah. And and I also don't want to say that every time, you know, someone from, you know, the Italian American culture is complaining that it's always done with the intent of lightening the mood. Um, yeah. There is well, legit complaining that happens and, and Italians are skilled at it. Um, yeah. You know what really? I mean? Oh, yeah. Funny. Oh, yeah. And, and it can turn dark very quickly. But that's well, not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to this. It's almost like a cultural storytelling type thing. Yeah, yeah, and I see it. I see a benefit in that, though. Even that obviously could go um, to an excess if it's if it always is a focus on what is wrong. Okay, even if it's funny, at what point am I blessing the Lord or am I praising? Am I thanking? Yeah. Am I showing a spirit yeah. of gratitude? Uh, so, I mean, I understand that, and everybody needs to find you know needs to be striving for the scriptural balance. Um, whether it's whether we're looking at, um, and I don't know what the word is to use as far as a, um, a nationalistic isn't the right word, um, a geographic cultural implication. Like I'm Irish, I'm Italian. Well, I'm uh, you know Native American, and mm-hmm. here's how we typically handled things or communicate. Okay, that's true. But we're also, I feel like, more so coming into an age of political culture where. Um, people have been trained to be hypersensitive um, and they've been uh-huh. educated with key phrases and words and issues that they are told in essence should be offensive. Um, so if you, you know, you at all reference my gender, well, I'm, I'm hypersensitive about that. Or you, you, uh, you acknowledge that my skin has a color. Oh, that's very offensive to me. Well, we've basically been educated into uh, a form of taking offense. And, and again, a scripture needs to be applied there, whether it's because of what nationality you are or because of your political preference and education. 
or whatever it is, we all need to go back to scripture and say, um, here's, here's what our speech and our language and our approach, you know, ought to be. And there can be a variety, like, like we're talking about here, there can be, I'm sure, um, a breadth to that of what fits into that. Mm-hmm. But then we just need to be honest. Uh, and like you're saying, not just say, well, I'm Italian. That's the way I am. Right. No, you still say, no, but there, there's excesses to that. And it still needs sure. to fall in the biblical model. But that's interesting that you say that. Could, yeah. it, could, it, could it sound wrong to one group of people and actually not be? Um, yeah. And, and yet I would well, say that, that that's yeah, where... It, can. It, it It totally can. And uh, I think... Yeah, well, yeah. I think the Lord has a sense of humor taking, uh, you know, a, a kid from Jersey, from some Italian-Irish family... And marrying him into a Midwestern ex-Amish family. Um, <laughs> that's funny right there. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that, that's funny. Because <laughs> yeah. my, my form of cultural storytelling is probably very bizarre sounding um, to, to what yeah. they would yeah. be used to. It might even sound like complaining at times, but um, it, it's kind of, kind of funny. <laughs> um, the- what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Did you have another thought? Uh, yeah. Well, the one thing I was going to say is while we're, well, the last question I said is could, could the way one people communicate, you know, sound wrong to one group of people and sound normal to another? Yes. The question is, is it wrong when it's transferred to that other culture um, and it, and it doesn't communicate the same thing? Is it then wrong? And I would have to say at times, yes, that uh, that person needs to know how to um, to maybe stretch a verse here to dwell with those people according to understanding. How do they understand things, and how can I best communicate here uh, so as not to offend or to convey the truth without providing a stumbling block? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, it's what, not what's just a funny right all the time. What's What's funny is that I know when I'm doing it because an accent starts to to eke its way out. Oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I, I don't like, like, like code talking, like, like if I even think about my family and start telling a story, there will be a Jersey accent that starts to creep in. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm doing this cultural storytelling, complaining type thing where I'm the sap, the schlemiel in the story, oftentimes that accent starts to creep out. So I can tell I'm doing it. I, I can tell, okay, I, yeah. I know what's happening <laughs> right now. Um, but that kind of brings in another question that I had on the list <clears throat> that's related to this. Okay. <laughs> about about funny storytelling. So occasionally someone will send me some clip of something that they thought was funny and it will be some guy standing on a stage with lights on him and he's walking around carrying a microphone and he's telling funny stories yes. and the people mm-hmm. in the crowd are laughing and that seems to be the sole purpose of what's happening there is that this is all happening so that he can make people laugh. And, and the, the, you know, the guy claims to be a Christian and, you know, he claims to have, you know, clean storytelling. He doesn't tell anything raunchy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and basically what it comes down to is this concept of Christian stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? You really? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Like this is an actual thing. Right. Um, that, I learned about years ago and there were actual people who made their living doing this as Christian stand-up comedians. And my, my thought was, okay, it seems kind of weird to me. Like just something seems kind of like, really what? 
it, it almost seemed kind of like, like, you know how like at uh, some Baptist weddings, uh, the couple will have sparkling cider in one of those bottles that looks like champagne yeah. <laughs> and, and they'll have champagne glasses and they'll right. drink the sparkling cider together. So, um, it, looks the so same, it is but it's sanctified, <laughs> right? It's like, it's washed of, you know, the, you know, un, un, unholy presentation of alcohol there, but yet it looks exactly the same. And it's like, to, it seems kind of the same way with the whole Christian stand up comedy thing. It's like, in a sense, they're almost trying to emulate like the nightclub culture of the world where people go to, to drink and listen to comedy, but it's been washed of certain things. And my thought was this, is there something, is there something wrong with that? Like, is, is there a problem with that? Because on, on the one hand I can see, okay, maybe they're trying to emulate the world in a way, but on the other hand, there's simply a guy standing up telling funny stories and, you know, for generations that has happened where, you know, an, a family member, usually, you know, an older gentleman who's seen a lot will stand up and tell stories or people will gather around him at a family gathering and he'll tell funny stories. And it's like the whole idea of a, a Christian standing in front of other Christians telling funny stories does not sound wrong to me. Mm-hmm. But yet there's something about this whole Christian stand-up comedy scene that in a, in a weird way kind of almost seems like they're trying to emulate something that's been commandeered by the world. Am I wrong? Am I being too fussy? Well, um, I'll tell you how it strikes me. A few thoughts here is um, I don't um, – it, 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 it sounds like maybe you're saying that this stand-up comedy was born in the nightclub – um, which maybe it was, I don't know. No, I, I mean, that's not my claim. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, my, my claim is that funny storytelling has been part of cultures for as long as there have been cultures. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and so I, I agree with you in the sense that it doesn't really seem, uh, wrong because it's funny storytelling, um, you know, it's funny storytelling at it, it first, at first strikes me maybe, uh, as unproductive in the sense that this guy doesn't have a real job. But <laughs> um, but the other side of that to me says, though, uh, I truly think that art is a valid part of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and an artist, you know, so, so people would think that painters don't have a real job, but they uh, capture beauty and beauty is something created by God. And so so there is something to being an artist, and a comedian is, in essence, um, an artist. I, I, I could maybe lump him into that category, that he knows how to uh, weave together. And, and, and it doesn't have to be dirty. The, what makes, I think, so much comedy bad is that they're just sinful in it. They just yeah. they just manifest corrupt mindset in it, and so they have to talk about disgusting or perverse shocking. or, or, or shocking, uh, things. shocking things, whatever. Um, I shouldn't say perverse maybe, but maybe actually, <laughs> uh, now that I think about it, um, but, um, you know, but just telling stories, like you say, is a common thing. And what people are laughing at is, um, the type of humor, how maybe he finished a sentence the way they didn't expect or how he, how he weaves together funny things that you never really thought about before. And you're like, oh, ha yeah, actually I, that is funny that on its face, the way that came out was really funny. And so there yeah. is an artistry there. He's sort of a wordsmith. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, 
in 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 large basically i don't see a problem with it um yeah. it's just i could recognize that in order to maybe the word is compete uh where's the market for it and in order to become big and make a living that way I'm going to have to keep coming up with material, keep coming up with material. And at what point am I going to, in order to reach a broader audience and get more invitations and actually make a living, am I going to have to dip my sails a little bit and start making jokes that really aren't, um, you know, just aren't healthy. Mm -hmm. Like I have to, uh, you know, you know, I just, whether I sort of mock spiritual things or I talk or now I have to get into flatulence humor or whatever, um, that, that, you know, now I have to become just a little bit of that for that teen appeal so that teenagers really think I'm funny and my YouTubes go viral. Can he just make a living truly being a clean comedian? Um, I don't know. Some, some have. Okay. Um, But I mean, the idea of just standing up and telling funny stories that are within the pale of appropriateness, um, I don't necessarily see a problem with that. And I I don't think to me that it, it has to be an emulation of, a worldly culture person. Right. Cause I, cause I think that would be perhaps one of the biggest criticisms. Some more strict Christians might say is that Christian stand-up comedy is just trying to emulate the world. But my thought was, you know, someone telling funny stories to a bunch of other people that's been around a long time. It's just cultural. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just it's cultural. Just, it is. And it is an aspect of culture. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, yeah, sure. And it just kind of depends on how you do it. So I mean, I to say, to say, um, to take this element of culture uh, is mimicking the world. No, music is an element of the culture, and yet I don't go to a classical, um, a classical music concert and say, you know, this classical musician is really just trying to emulate rock concerts. No, it's just a concert. Of, you know, it just happens to be a quality um, manifestation sure. of a component of culture. You know, and so what are the sure. components of culture? Well, there's there's art, and there's uh, you know, and that art encompasses a lot, whether it's culinary or uh, or, or, um, you know, painting yeah. or music or comedy or whatever. There's a lot in the art sphere, um, just taking a component of culture and you could reach several other ones and say, they're not just mirroring the world. Rather, the world is a distortion of what, uh, of what is part of culture anyway. Yeah. I, I do think for a lot of conservative Christians though, the line of thinking would probably be somewhat like, well, why would I pay for that? <laughs> you know, it seems like a strange thing to pay for. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. why would I pay to go sit and listen to someone tell funny stories for an hour? Mm-hmm. You know, why would I do that? Um, I, I can understand that. You know, it just, it I, seems yeah, like. I suppose so. It just. Yeah. It's just the value though on uh, uh, the same reason they're going to pay to go uh, sit down and watch a movie. I mean, it entertains them and it, and in that particular game, case. Yeah. yeah, right. It gives them this, the, the upside of this, the point is to make me laugh. When I laugh, I feel more relaxed. I feel good. That was enjoyable. Okay. You know, so if that's your form of enjoyment versus going and watching a baseball game and whatever, that's your form of enjoyment. I don't see much of a difference there. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. Um, I'm trying to scan here and we've got, okay, maybe can I, can I throw this question out at you? Um, okay. We changing gears. Yes, we are changing gears, and okay. um, uh, maybe you added a link here because I don't think I did. But I put uh, a question in here about um, the idea of soul winning. Uh, as I thought about, and I know this is going to sound strange, 
as I thought about Jesus' parents. And what got me thinking about this was um, you read the Christmas story. We're just coming out of that season now. And you, you, so you've heard, uh, and, and this year I focused on um, when, when I preached, where um, you know the shepherds come, uh, the wise men eventually come, but at one point, and, and later on in Jesus' life, there's two or three times where it says, um, and Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating. It just to me, Mary's a fascinating person, a character, yes. um, because she was a thinker. She, she, didn't just, she wasn't just like <clears throat> uh, you know, running the hamster wheel of, of early motherhood and trying to tackle one thing at a time. She recognized whoa, there's some things going on. Obviously, she knew she was having the Messiah. But so here she is in this, you know, this stable somewhere. She's had the baby. It's laying in a manger. And all of a sudden, this group of shepherds just shows up from out of nowhere. And, and, and wow, well, I imagine that it wasn't just like, oh, yep, there's the baby. How you guys doing? Bye. You know, and then they leave. I imagine they come in. They talk about what they've seen in the field. Mary probably shares with them, well, let me tell you my side of the story and how the angel appeared to me. And so their information you know, their knowledge is more filled out. And you just imagine kind of the awe in that room. And then two years, maybe maybe a year later, a year and a half later, these regal, you know, uh, upstanding men of the East come walking in mm-hmm. and out of the blue, you know, and you have no idea that they're coming. And again, you go, wow, the Lord is obviously doing something here. How did you know? Uh, you know, and, and all this stuff. So for her to think about these things and she treasures them in her heart and, and she ponders them, she thinks about them. What is God doing? What does this mean? Um, it says it later, I think when he's in the temple uh, at 12 years old and, and that s- scenario there that she thinks about what went on. But um, my point is that in the Christmas story, you have Mary and Joseph, they have the Christ child, you know, they've traveled there. Uh, you have the shepherds specifically who leave praising God and speaking to like all the people. You kind of get the idea that they're just, they're telling all kinds of people as they're walking down the road what they saw and 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 uh, what was told to them. But you don't see that about Mary, Right, uh, you mm-hmm. don't you don't read that Mary became this blazing witness in Nazareth, uh, you know, telling people every day that her son was the Messiah, um, and so I just it made me think, hmm, I wonder, you know, the the variety of ways to handle the knowledge that that Jesus is the Messiah. For mm-hmm. some people, it's telling everybody. And for Mary, at the very least, it was pondering and thinking. Uh, certainly, yeah. I imagine she shared. But it seems like the modern, uh, maybe fundamentalist paradigm would be, maybe it's more than fundamental. Maybe it's evangelical. You know, you you just tell everybody. Um, you know, you 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 go door to door and you're sweeping everybody to tell everybody the news. And yet, I don't even think Mary and Joseph did that. Mm-hmm. But what would I say that they were ungodly? Like they were trying, you know, they weren't they weren't open about the message of Messiah. They weren't willing to share that message. Well, certainly they were godly people. Hence the reason that God chose them to yeah. be the family. So anyway, do you see what I'm saying? It just that I do. What, what does that tell us about maybe methods of sharing the gospel that it might look different from person to person? Well, I I, I don't know exactly, but I mean. 
what it maybe tells me a little bit about Mary and Joseph, and, and I am speculating here, so be warned, is that I would think that they were wise enough to realize that going around and making these claims about themselves and their own family doesn't quite uh, look right compared to the notion of having others claiming it on your behalf. I see. Yeah. So like, like if I were Joseph, right, I would find it hard. Like I, yeah, I could I, see I myself maybe telling some people in, in a, you know, a more quiet and subdued way. And, you know, knowing that, you know, I can share this with this person because um, I, I know them and I know what they're like, but to use it as a tool in a sense to try and win people to the messiahship of my own child. Yeah. It almost yeah. seems self-serving. Right. Plus, so I, I could wonder... see them maybe being a little reserved about yeah. that. Plus, don't you think that there probably still was, they, they would have the uphill battle of actually proving that they hadn't been immoral as a couple. Yes. Right? Because she was with child prior to their being uh, officially yeah. then wed. Um, sure. And, so and he, some he's willing to take on that risk. But do other people understand that? Yeah. And some might view the claim of your child being the Messiah as some really far out means of trying to save face after having been, mm -hmm. you know, immoral. Um, so, I mean, even though they weren't, um, you know, <laughs> is it some sort of rescuing right. device? You know, here's this woman that becomes pregnant all of a sudden and, and, you know, the, the marriage wasn't supposed to be consummated yet. And, and, and she's mm -hmm. found with child and, you know, uh, you know, some people might, you know, just have to sh hang their heads in shame and admit, yes, you know, you know, we've, We've committed, you know, fornication or something like that. But uh, others might, in order to save face, come up with some far-fetched story that, you know, mm -hmm, she's with mm -hmm. child of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know. Again, I'm just kind of spitballing here about what the culture might have viewed this like and how Mary and Joseph would have viewed it. So so seeing or, or, or analyzing their non-response isn't maybe a good idea for me as far as a witnessing template. Um, it would be more to say when Jesus projected himself as the Messiah and demonstrated by signs and wonders that indeed he was the Messiah. <laughs> now they had something to work from. It's not just, we're telling you that, 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 you know, our son is the Messiah, but look, he's healing people. He's manifesting the signs of the Messiah. Now I can back that up and tell you, yes, he was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophecy said. Yeah. And yes, we are of the line of David. And yes, mm -hmm. they could, they could back that up and substantiate it. But when he really came out and then began to prove himself in that way at 30 years old, um, then maybe the better template is to look at what was his model and what was the yeah. disciples' model um, sure. of, 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 of preaching the gospel. Yeah. And that would have been a long time for Mary and Joseph to wait. Um, though, of right. course, Joseph, we don't really see in the story later. So, you know, it's presumed Correct. that he has died right. by the time Jesus is an adult. But, you know, that's a long time for Mary to wait for when Jesus begins his public ministry and begins to do signs and wonders in proof of his messiahship. Um, you know, that, that's a long time to be patient and wait and then still have to deal with the frustration of not everyone believing it. <laughs> that's yeah, a, that's a yeah. lot of frustration, I imagine. Um, but, uh, yeah, interestingly, Jesus doesn't, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't ever seem to discuss 
the events surrounding his birth as a means of validating himself um, hmm. yeah. in ministry. Hmm. You know, like like he doesn't ever point to that, it seems. Right. It's recorded for us as a means of validating it uh, from, like you say, other sources that, okay, so Luke yes. the historian records that, but mm-hmm. does Jesus bring it up in conversation? No, he's, he's just actually pointing to scripture itself. Yeah, um, and, and doing signs and wonders uh, yep, in, in yep. the present then. But right, I mean, right. I can't think of an instance where he makes reference of the nature of his birth. Can you? No, uh, not right off the top of my head. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I was just thinking about quickly about the different angles. So, so while, while Mary and Joseph could validate, uh, you know, details, Jesus doesn't reference it. What he does is, you know, signs and wonders and points back to prophecy of scripture. Am I fulfilling the prophecy? You know, um, then I, I was thinking about Paul, if this has a, if this has a connection to it, um, what strikes me about Paul's, um, is it first Corinthians 15, where we typically say the gospel is verse three and four, where Christ died according to the scriptures and that he was mm-hmm. buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I think we stop a little short um, yeah, because it goes on and that he was seen of the apostles and of 500. So there was actually some evidential proof to those who read the document in the day that could say, now, wait a minute, Paul's claiming that you know, Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to 500 people. I'm going to investigate that claim myself. They yeah. actually could have gone and said, hey, where are these disciples? Who, who are these people that say they saw Jesus? And they could interview them themselves. Yeah. Um, so so well, sure. he was, and, and, Paul pointing to the resurrection. and Yeah. And, and going back to the birth account, it wasn't a subtle thing that happened because- no. When the wise men show up on the scene, likely a couple years after the birth, they come to Herod and it says Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Mm-hmm. So like this was not a contained matter. No. All Jerusalem figured out that there are wise men here looking for our Messiah because they believe he's been born. They believe right. he's here somewhere. And, and like I say, it was this was not a contained matter because Herod right. then, you know, orders the slaughter of all the children two years and younger. So right. this was a big deal. And and it's like nowhere can I think of does Jesus reference that no. in relation to his upbringing? He never says, by the way, that was all about me. The wise men came to my <laughs> earthly parents and the wise men were here and Herod slaughtered all these children to try and get me and my family took me to Egypt and so on. You right. know, he never seems to reference any of that. And so I don't know exactly what to make of that. Um, I don't either. But that's uh, interesting to think about. Hmm. Well, if you have some thoughts on that and you want to give us your speculation or um, or another scripture to insert into a part of that conversation, uh, feel free to give us your thoughts at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. That's reasontogetherpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, thank you for being with us on this episode. That'll be it for now. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.